Geraldine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History of A.K. Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine, and today we're talking about the liberation of Paris. I'll let Claudine take it from here. Yeah, so this week is the 79th anniversary of the liberation of Paris um, that happened in 1944. So next year will be one of those big anniversaries. Uh, But in 2019, the 75th anniversary was um, celebrated with um, there was just wonderful stories and remembrance and like, you know, the national, you know, international news was in Paris. So I'm sure they're going to do that again um, for the 80th. But I always think that, like, why don't they just do the same thing? thing for every year because it's a pretty big event and a lot of people gave their lives for it i would think the same thing i mean it's huge it could be like our bastide day you know like they should do something yeah but it's only like you know the it, and I, i'm sure it's all about the media because they all like the big fives you know the fives and the tens <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> i mean 80 years it's pretty momentous and the fact that you know pretty much that entire generation is is you know, almost gone, which is really um, sad. Uh, But if you want to get a really great idea of what it was like during that period of time in Paris during the liberation, um, there is a fantastic museum, um, which we've talked briefly about before, the Musée de la Libération de Paris. It's up in the Place d'Enfant Rocher Row, um, and it's really close to the Frederick Bertholdi's Lion of Belfort statue monument that he has in the middle of the street, but it's also right across the street from the catacombs. That's what most people know about. Yeah. (laughs) Most people that have gone, Um, but it opened on the 75th anniversary. So it's just four years old now. Um, It opened on the 75th anniversary of August 25th, 2019. Um, The former museum, it used to be a museum, opened long before that. And it was up at the Gare Montparnasse. And so it was really kind of hidden away and nobody really ever went. It was open August 24th, 1994 for the 50th anniversary. So it was there for a little over uh, 20 years because it was closed for quite some time when they moved it. Um, but it's also um, a museum. It's also it's like three different museums. <laughs> the name is very, very long. But it also includes the Musée Jean Moulin. Um, In 2015, they decided to move it, um, you know, to where you see it today. It's in a really cool building, um, again, right across the street from the entrance to the catacombs. But it's in the Pavillon Ledoux, which was built in 1787 by architect Claude-Nicolas Ledoux. Um, And it was one one of the 50 barriers that went around the city of Paris that were called the General Farmers uh, Wall. That basically when they came through there, um, the farmers had to pay taxes. Oh, wow. And there's only a few of them left in Paris. Um, and this is one of them that you can still see today. It's neoclassical um, and it has its twin right across the street, which is also used for the catacombs. Um, and then there's only two other ones that remain in the city. Um, when Ledoux designed this, it was he also designed the Rotunda Pavillon that's in the Parc Monceau which is a really beautiful one that's just right there at the edge of the park. Um, and that one is named after the designer. Um, but now it is known um, as the Barrière d'Enfer, which is the barrier of hell. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that way about taxes, too. 
yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's just so strange to think, you know, because and that's like, you know, Montmartre at one point was outside the city. And it was a lot cheaper to live everything, you know, wine and food, everything was cheaper because it lived outside the city and inside the city, they collected the taxes. Not anymore. Not anymore. No. Um, but this just sits um, underneath it, um, underneath the museum. There's also another museum that's the, the underground command base for the uh, Colonel Rotangui. Um, and it's also near Jean Moulin's former hideout. We did an episode, I, it might have even been two years ago, that we did it about the women of the uh, resistance and yeah. the liberation. Yeah. yeah. And it was. That was when I talked for the first time about somebody that was still alive. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that was a big de- day for us. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think I think that um, wonderful woman has since passed on, but we'll put a link to it in the in the show notes on my website. Um, but when it was moved when it was moved over to where it is now, that's again as I said, it has three different museums. So it's the Musée de la Libération, it's the Musée de General Leclerc, and the Musée Jean Moulin. So three museums in one, um, and the two gentlemen, Leclerc and Moulin, played integral parts in the liberation of Paris, as well as Rotongui. Um, that, and if you want to go there, to go down underneath to the old um, ba- command base of Rotongui, it is. Um, you do have to go and see. It's not open all the times that the museum is, um, but I'll put that information on the website. But Jean Moulin, um, if you you have probably seen a picture of him before he is a very dashing gentleman and you always see him with like his wool coat and his you know uh, scarf around his neck and a hat uh he was born june 20th 1899 in Bézère in the south of france he was mobilized on april 17th 1918 and served in the engineer regiment of world war one he joined um pretty late into the war when it's you know 1918 is just a few months before it ends so he didn't see any fighting on the front lines, but he did see the devastation that happened to some of these villages, especially of the Vosges area, you know, because they were just the you know Germans and they were just coming in there, destroying them, um, especially that whole area. What, you know, the in Reims, like Champagne region and then east of that, a lot of that stuff just got completely destroyed. And if you go to, you know, the capital Champagne in Reims now, the buildings are um, quite modern looking because most everything got destroyed. And it's a beautiful city if you get the chance to visit. It's like 45 minutes from Paris. Oh, my gosh. It's so easy. I mean, you could you could take the train to Champagne in the time it would take you sometimes to take a taxi to Montmartre from the center of the city. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, but you know, you definitely do when you go to that side of France, you really do see, you know, because you're like, where's all the really old buildings? And and that's why, because they were destroyed in the first world war. Um, but after that, until the start of World War II, Moulin served as the sub-prefect for the towns all over France. Um, they moved him all the time. In June of 1940, he was the prefect of the Orle-et-Loire uh, in, in Chartres, where he was arrested by the Germans because he refused to sign a declaration that a group of Senegalese men killed a, res- a resident of the town. Um, he refused to sign it. And so they took him into custody. And it was actually the Germans who killed them. Oh, my gosh, it's horrible. 
Yeah. So he was, you know, I mean, he's, he was such an amazing man. He was standing on his principles um, and, you know, he was beaten. He was tossed into jail. They, can he at one point try to cut his own throat with a shard of glass? Um, a guard uh, saw him and stopped the bleeding. Um, but that is why um, when I post it, you'll see the picture, go to my website. Um, this very, uh, you know, if you've been to, into Paris you, and you've seen, like, if you've gone to the Pantheon and a bunch of other places, you have seen this photo. Um, but that's why he wore scarves the rest of his life because he had this horrible um, scar on his neck. Oh my gosh, I never knew that. I have seen that picture. Yeah, I didn't know that either. But I um, mean, isn't and he's so handsome, isn't he? So for handsome sure, for sure. Yeah, word of how brave he was reached Charles de Gaulle in London, and he requested a meeting with him. And the two first met on October 24th, 1941, when de Gaulle gave him the assignment of uniting the various groups of the resistance, because there was like 12 different groups just around Paris for the resistance. Um, on May 27th, 1943, the first meeting of the uh, of the Council of the National um, Resistance Group was held at number 48, Route of Four, which is also the same street that uh, Gertrude Stein lived on. Less than a month later, on June 21st, in um, Kalul Ike, near Lyon, a um, meeting at the home of doc- Dr. Frederick uh, Dujon was held. Um, seven leaders of the different fractions of the resistance groups were in attendance, including Jean Moulin, um, as well as René Hardy who um, had just been uh, arrested by the Gestapo. Um, He was then let go and then he was uh, returned to, you know, and then he came to this meeting. So as they were having this meeting, the um, the Nazis had heard this was going on and Rene Hardy was pretty uh, integral to that. The Nazis rushed in, arrested everybody. And when everybody was walking out, you know, in handcuffs, thrown into, you know, thrown into cars, um, Rene R.D. basically um, was just standing there without handcuffs, just watching on. Um, And so he, you know, was supposed to be a resistance leader, but he had been arrested previously. He was taken to Klaus Barbie in Lyon, who was a very famous uh, name from the from that period of time in the Germans. Um, There isn't any recorded message or information about what went on at that meeting. But after the war, he was accused and taken to trial in 47 and 50. And he was acquitted. But at the um, trial, he admitted that he had contact with Hardy, um, and that's what led to the arrest of uh, Moulin. Oh, we got him. Bad guy. Um, but upon the arrest of Moulin, he entered um, the prison in Lyon um, until the Nazis took him to the dis- Gestapo headquarters where Klaus Barbie was there and tortured him. On July 8, 1943, in the midst of the transfer to Berlin, Moulin died at the Metz train station. Um, and there's a lot of doubts about that being the location as it took six months to create an actual death certificate by the Germans. Um, but he was later returned to um, Paris, and he was put into Père Lachaise until 1964 when he was moved to the Pantheon. Um, and you could go on YouTube and find some videos of, of this speech that André Malraux 
did, and it's one of the most amazing speeches. You're going to need to understand French, um, but it's one of the most amazing speeches. It's still talked about to this day. Every single time somebody's put into the Pantheon, the French uh, news bring up this speech by Andre Malraux. Um, and now today, Andre Malraux is also buried in the Pantheon in the same um, niche. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. I've been in the Pantheon in years. I need to go back. Oh, it's good, especially when we have a heat wave because it is cold downstairs where the crypt is <laughs> and it's the underground guys <laughs> if it did if it had a uh if i could get a signal i'd probably do my live sunday walk from there but <laughs> you're <laughs> underground um but it is a really cool place we should do some more episodes with about some of the people um that are buried there because it's really it's really fascinating um, a woman named Antoinette Sass was a close friend of Jean Moulin who was working with him decoding messages. In 1943, um, her vast uh, connections to the art world, she had set up this gallery in Nice um, that served as a front for the uh, resistance. Um, he also had a bit of an art collection for a short period of time, and it was in this uh, uh gallery it does down in nice um it included also art of picasso and renoir and maurice otero and also suzanne valadon um and so those years uh together she amasses huge collection of his personal papers and she also helped him get things out of his apartment when he had to flee and uh they held she held on to all of these papers with his sister uh Lori. And uh, so more than 3000 pieces um, of uh, info were given to the museum today. And when you go to the museum, it's really cool. You could go downstairs, you see paintings. Um, there's a Maurice Utrio painting that's down there that would have been in this gallery. There's this chair. There's all this really in interesting, um, fascinating information. And it's one of those museums like you really need to take your time and look and read everything. Um, because it's not like, you know, the Louvre or the Orsay where you just walk by and look at paintings. Um, and, you know, these people gave their life to save um, thousands and thousands of other people. So, you know, it's worth a few minutes to read a little extra. To respect their their lives. I completely agree. It is. Um, the other uh, gentleman that the museum is, uh, that one of the museums is named after is General Leclerc, his full name was Philippe Leclerc uh, de Hauteclioque. Um, he was born November 22nd, 1902, um, and he was always destined for the service. In 1922, he enrolled in the École Spéciale Militaire de Sancerre. Um, that is the one that uh, Madame de Pompidou actually set up that was right next to uh, Versailles. It was later changed over from by Napoleon to the military school. He finished fifth in this class in 1924, and by 1931, he was instructor at the same school. During World War II, he was stationed in Belgium, where he was arrested and later released. He had six children, um, and right after he was released, they all escaped to London. In July 24th, 1940, he met Charles de Gaulle. Um, de Gaulle thought he was an exceptional leader. And um, he had promoted him to a colonel and directed him to go to Cameroon, where he served on behalf of the Free French Forces. Um, the Vichy government uh, sentenced him to death for his action in absentia, which basically means he didn't even go on trial. They're just like, hey, guess what? You're sentenced to death. And if we find you, that's what's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. So what happened? 
So Leclerc continued on through Morocco. He returned to Paris in August 1944. It was Leclerc who signed the papers that took in General von um, Cholitz uh, at the Guerre Montparnasse. Cholitz was the uh, German that, you know, is probably the only Nazi officer you can maybe say something good about because he was the one that was supposed to push basically the button that destroyed Paris. And he was the one who stood up to Hitler and did not do it. And Hitler called him and said, is Paris burning during those days of the liberation? And he just basically, he he didn't do it. And he was like, I'm not going to destroy Paris. We like him. So we kind of, but, you know, later historians have said, like, maybe that wasn't all him. But, you know, I mean, he, you know, in, he did have a good moment. <laughs> good moment. <laughs> He had a good moment. Um, but the next day he was walking down um, the Champs-Élysées next to Charles de Gaulle, um, right next to him striding down there. And you see, if you see any photos um, about that period of the liberation, he General Leclerc is in a lot of the photos um, with Charles de Gaulle and just around Paris. It was uh, Leclerc that uh, Hemingway tried to get in touch with because he was coming back into Paris to liberate the Ritz. And so he asked to see Leclerc and basically Leclerc told him to F off. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because he wanted him to give him uh that he wanted Leclerc to give Hemingway uh you know cars and guns and men to go in to take the Ritz back. And as we know, the Ritz was already uh the Germans had already left. There wasn't any issue at the Ritz anymore. That is so funny. Yeah. Um, after the war, he liberated the troops in Strasbourg, um, and then he led the first troops to Hitler's Eagle's Nest and then on to Algeria. On November 28, 1947, the B-25 he was on crashed in a sandstorm, and he and the 14 patches, passengers were still never recovered. Um, on December 4, 1947, a national funeral was held at Notre Dame. Uh, followed by a procession to the Arc de Triomphe and it ends at Les Invalides, where he is actually buried today. So he's not in the Pantheon. He's in Les Invalides. Um, But the museum covers all of their stories. It's really fantastic. Um, it chronological um, is the whole walkthrough. So it goes from the very start of the liberation. It's, it's rather heartbreaking. Um, you have things like the skis of Leclerc and all of these other personal items. Uh, but then as you just go into the beginning part of it, it also has like, you know, a tiny suitcase and it has tiny shoes that belong to a child and stories about these, you know, these Jewish families that had to up and leave, uh, you know, Paris and be taken or try to escape. Um, it's really hard. I, I always tell people you will go through just about every emotion. There is a kaleidoscope of emotions um, because you go through the start of it and it is very heartbreaking. Um, by the time you get out of it, at the end of it, they have, you know, they have videos of the, you know, the triumphant walk down the Champs-Élysées. There's just constant uh you know, sounds of people cheering on the Champs-Élysées, just playing over the speakers. And you leave and you're, oh, you just feel like this great sense of like, you know, patriotism. And it's like, oh, we, you know, they survived it. They got through it. Um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it does have some, you know, sad stories where, uh, you know, the many Jewish families that were taken to Drancy, um, and then on to Auschwitz, including, you know, one family of uh, the Setion family with their four daughters 
deported. Um, he deported on November 9th and killed five days later. Um, you know, and they left a note saying this is where we were going. And, you know, they have that note there, which is just really, you know, just it's so sad. Um, the one of my favorite things, and I think you didn't you recently do a shoot there? Yeah, I did a video shoot. I shot some of the clothing um for like they would the women would make like all kinds of patriotic dresses out of old fabric yeah. during the liberation. That dress that's there is one of my favorites. I would wear that dress today. Maybe the <laughs> big poofy uh, shoulders on the sleeves. <laughs> but um, it was made by a gal named Marguerite Sabu and her mother. At the start of August, they began to make this dress, hoping she would be able to see soon see it, you know, wear it um, through Paris. The dress it has paper cutouts of the Eiffel Tower, Arc de Triomphe, the um, Column of the Bestie, and other landmarks in Paris. Um, she also made a little purse with the Cross of Lorraine on it and a clasp that had a rooster on it so so cute 70 it was 79 years ago august 26 1944 that she finally had the chance to wear that dress during the parade on the champs Elysees as she watched charles de gaulle and uh leclerc walk down there um a few lucky soldiers even signed her bag um and they have it there on display and i absolutely love i mean i think that they need to sell that dress in the gift shop <laughs> <laughs> A remake. Yeah, it's a beautiful dress. Definitely worth visiting. And uh, the history is fascinating, as you said. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, you know, you could also go to the um, Musée de l'Armée. There's a there's a uh, liberation, a sort of a liberation. It's the, the cross of the Liberation Museum. So it's everybody that's been bestowed with the cross of the liberation. And uh, only a handful of ladies, but uh, Jean Moulin is there and also Leclerc. Um, there's actually the coat that belonged to Jean Moulin and his hat and that scarf and a big picture of him. Um, it's another one of those, uh, you know, one of those, it's just kind of, you know, it's very sad to go through some of those museums, but, you know, as I always say, when we talk about things like this, I think it's also very important for us to see that these are the things that happen and give, you know, even if it's for a, a passing five minute thought of you know these people that gave their life for senseless uh hatred among other things or just trying to stand up against the hatred it's you know i think it's uh, what we need to do for sure and i mean we need to visit these places and and remember these people and and these museums are fascinating and they are not busy guys you can walk right in no problem at all to come and yeah and the liberation museum is free as well. It's part of the Museums of Paris. It's free. It's open Tuesdays to Sundays from 10 to 6 p.m. Um, sometimes if it has a special exhibit, um, there could be a small ticket price, but they don't not this one doesn't do that very often. I went one time and I think it was, was like a four euro ticket or something to go see it. Um, but it is, uh, you know, in the Musée de l'Armée, there is a ticket. You could get a ticket for the whole entire property because there's a few museums in there and it's uh, that's also not too expensive um i think it's only like you know 11 or 12 euros but um they're all really great ones especially if you're in paris in august um or next year to come celebrate the 80th you know during uh if we've survived the olympics (laughs) if we survived the olympics is right (laughs) yeah they are doing a this weekend in paris they did a test for the triathlon um, on this in the Seine, 
They jumped in the Seine and uh, I went down the other day and watched it. Uh, I didn't see them. I wasn't on the other. I needed to be on the other side and because everything was blocked off. So they jumped into the Seine. They swam from the Pont Alexander Trois to the Pont d'Alma. And from there, they went, um, they got out. They ran up and around Arc de Triomphe down the Champs-Élysées, then came back. And then got on their bikes and then went um, on the left bank up down uh, Boulevard Saint-Germain and Rue de Bac and then back along the quay. Um, it was I went down. It was pretty cool to see that. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a fraction of the people that will be here next year. But I haven't heard anything on the news yet of people coming out of the Seine now have an extra ear. But <laughs> it's early. Maybe they're going to keep medically testing them this week yeah, seriously. I, there's no amount of money to make me jump in the sun i mean they have cleaned it up i'm by the sun every day doing photo shoots and it is much cleaner i will say than 10 years ago it's clear there are fish there used to be no fish <laughs> yeah and it is i mean but the thing is is they were supposed to do this weeks ago and they didn't because we had you remember we had like a week of non-stop rain and they said that the it was it was the river was bad because you had all this runoff from the rain. And so, you know, all the things, you know, from the street and everything just gets into the water. Um, and they said it wasn't safe. Well, let's hope there's no rain during the Olympics. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, oh, I don't know about that. But yeah, I had a, I made a, a video of it and posted on my Instagram. And I had a bunch of people saying like they wouldn't do that. I was like, the only way I'm going is if I pushed. <laughs> my body is a temple. There's no way I'm going into the Seine. That just sounds, it just seems gross. And I don't know a single Parisian that thinks it's a good idea. Do you? Didn't people used to jump in there to like literally kill themselves? Like, well, they still do. Oh my gosh. They still do. I sometimes walk down, you know, on my way to, way over to the Louvre. And sometimes I see, you know, the, the police and their boat going up and down the river. And then you see something on the news later that they, you know, I saw him one time they pulling a guy out that was, you know, still moving, thankfully, but yeah, oh, they still man. do. Yeah. I saw one morning during a photo shoot, they pulled somebody out of there. Oh, he was not moving. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Good luck with that guys. Uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah. The whole thing about it, but they're going to do the cycling, um, the cycling, uh, race is going to go up through Montmartre and they're going to be doing that, that test sometime uh, soon I think too oh that's good to know I didn't think they'd do anything up in Montmartre because it's such a hill um, yeah but that yeah cycling is perfect but keep an eye on it because uh the other day it was I I went out like 7 30 in the morning on Friday and it's August so it's nice and empty but you know there was places I couldn't go through even on foot so it, yeah, uh, on the weekends I don't even go outside in Montmartre there's so many yeah people. it's a nightmare so, uh, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in and check out ClaudineHemingway.com for more information. Hire her for a private tour. Go on her live walks. Join her Patreon and tune in next week, guys. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.